Well, this morning we come to Genesis chapter 27, so please go ahead and open your Bibles up there. Genesis chapter 27. Now, I haven't said this for a while, but for the sake of those that listen via the internet, I just want to say that I teach from the New King James uh, version of the Bible, just letting you know that, so in case you want to follow along with me, you can easily do so. But you know, the more and more that uh, I study the Word of God, the Lord has, by His Spirit, has been leading me in the direction of very practical teachings lately, what I call rubber-meeting-the-road teachings, you know, life-applicable teaching, things that we can learn from and grow from, you know, in the Word of God. Now, we know that we're, we live in New Testament Christianity today, but we also know that the Old Testament, it says, was written for our learning, that we could learn from what is written, written there. So we believe in God's word from Genesis through Revelation as being the whole counsel of the word of God. But I'm sure as we go through this study this morning, you'll see what I mean that, uh, you know, it's a very practical teaching, kind of uh, life applicable. Now, verse one here, let's go ahead and jump on into it. Verse one says, now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he answered him, here I am. Then he said, behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. So here we see that Isaac, the son of Abraham, has come to a place in his life where he feels like the end of his life is indeed very near. We're not told his age here at this point in the story, but we very clearly see in verses one and two here that Isaac has become an old man. And as it pertains to you and me here this morning, unless we die young, we will someday be old. Now, I know that that sounds like a statement from Captain Obvious, right? Unless we die young, we will be old. But I really do think it's a, a good thing for us to realize that this life, as we presently know it here on this earth, it's not an eternal life, this life that we live in the flesh. Yes, indeed, there is eternal life awaiting us, but it's not this life as we know it right now in this flesh of ours. So again, it's good for us, though, to realize that time does indeed fly by, right, in this life. And there is a way that we can live life to the fullest. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now, but why would I say that it's a good thing to realize that time flies by, that life goes quickly by? Isn't that a bummer? to kind of think about that fact sometimes, right? If, but if the natural course of this life holds, we are all going to eventually get old and eventually we're going to die. The Bible says that it is appointed to man once to die. But why would we want to think about that? Isn't that a sad thought? Well, not necessarily. Of course, we don't want to dwell on that type of thing. Right? We don't want to dwell on old age and death, but there is wisdom in understanding the temporality of this life. There's wisdom in realizing 
that this life is short and that it goes by. Now, I want you to mark this page somehow here in Genesis. And um, let's turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 90. Psalms 90. Now, we're all familiar with the man Moses, right? We're, we, uh, we haven't reached the story of Moses yet here in our Sunday morning studies, but Moses was a man that was used in a very mighty way by the Lord God. And right here in the pages of our Bible, we actually have a prayer written by Moses himself. It's a prayer that Moses prayed, I should say, right? And it's written for us here in Psalm chapter 90. And verse one tells us, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And here begins the prayer now, right? Moses says to God, he says, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting To everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. So let's pause here for a moment and let me again again explain to you what I'm teaching you right now, why I'm headed in this direction. Because back in Genesis chapter 27, we see that Isaac, the son of Abraham, had grown old. And we've we, we studied the story of Abraham. We saw the birth of Isaac, right? And all of that. And I'm taking us to a place here this morning of realizing that it's okay for us to grasp the fact that old age is indeed coming for us all. But it's not a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination. We saw back in Genesis there where it spoke of the fact that Isaac's eyesight was growing very dim right? In his case, he couldn't see anything clearly. But eyesight dimming is a part of aging. It started happening for me somewhere in my early 40s, right? I had to go out and buy reading glasses, right? But here in this prayer of Moses, we can learn something, and that is that God is our dwelling place, as we see there in verse 1. The Hebrew word used for dwelling place is the word ma'on, and it's a word that takes on the meaning of refuge. God is our refuge. He is our shelter, the place where our hearts and minds should dwell and be focused on in this present lifetime as we now know it, right? He should be our primary focus. And in verse two there, Moses is Moses, in in his prayer, establishes the fact that God has always been and always will be. God is in complete control. He is from everlasting to everlasting. And then in verse four, Moses says, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. So again, we're seeing from Moses's prayer here that our place of refuge is a secure place. You know, our place in God, that is. And God is not bound by our time frame. He does not work on our time clock. 
right? There is no time with God as we know it here. You'll see in scripture that God deals with us in a way that our finite minds can comprehend, but God himself is not finite. Our God is infinite, right? You see, our attitude as mankind here on this earth is often one that displays that we are in control or we want to be control. We want to take the reins of life. We want to be the captain of our ship as we go through this life. But Moses's prayer here points out something very different to us. This prayer elevates God to where he really is and where he really should be in our lives. And that is above all else, above everything else, of the grandest, of the greatest, of the most importance. And still speaking of mankind, as compared to God, Moses in verse five says, you carry them away like a flood. They are like sleep in the morning. They are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. Okay, so are you grasping what Moses is saying here? Man is nothing. What he's simply pointing out is man is nothing compared to God. God knows all. God sees all. God is above all. He is greater than all. Notice in verse eight there that the sins, the iniquities that we think are hidden because no one else sees them, he sees them, right? These sins are right before God. It says in the light of his countenance. So God knows all and sees all. Nothing is hidden from almighty God. And the point of all this is to get us to the place where we understand how finite we are, how little we are and how big our God is. Okay. Moses continues in verse 10, the days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength, there are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger for as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Now, this is the reason that I said that it's a good thing for us to think about old age and to realize that time does indeed fly by. Because if we are mindful of the fact that life does indeed fly by, then we can learn to live this life to the absolute fullest, to the glory of God Almighty. It is good for us to number our days. It is good for us to know that old age and eventually death are indeed in our future. Because as you do this, as you realize this, as you realize that this life is not all that there is, right? We need, as Moses says in verse 12 there, to gain a heart of wisdom. And that's what happens. We gain a heart of wisdom when we start thinking in this way and we realize Hey, it's just not all about what I think it's about, right? Start to realize that time is short here on this earth, right? And where does wisdom begin? It speaks of gaining a heart of wisdom. Where do we get wisdom anyway? Where does wisdom come from? Where do we get it? Well, let's turn up to Psalm 111, okay? So 
just a few pages up probably in your Bible there. Psalm 111. And we're going to look down at verse 10. So again, we see in Moses' prayer that we're to gain a heart of wisdom. And we can do that by numbering our days. But where does wisdom begin? Well, down in verse 10 of Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all of those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. So that's where wisdom begins. Wisdom begins by reverencing the Lord. That's that word fear there, to reverence the Lord. Keeping the commandments of the Lord, as it says there, realizing that he is worthy of all of our praise. And again, Moses asked God to teach us to number our days that we might gain wisdom. And as you come to grips with the frailty of this life, the temporality of this life, the speed at which it passes by, it will cause you to recognize that you need a power in your life that is greater than your own. Because you realize again how small you are and how frail you are and that there is a God that is over us. Because our eyes will dim, our strength will fail, but our God is all-powerful. He's from everlasting to everlasting and he alone endures forever and he is worthy of our praise. So the beginning of, the wis- so the beginning of wisdom is to fear, to reverence God and understand the fact that, like I said, you will get old, we will get frail, right? And when we do this, it should help us to understand our need for God. And that's why it's a good thing to think about it and recognize it. Now, before we turn back to Genesis 27, I I really do want you to see the last lines of that prayer of Moses that we were reading. So go ahead and turn back to Psalm 90 again. And I won't go through the, the whole, the, the, all the verses there, but we'll just look down at verse 17, the end of Moses' prayer here. It says, And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You see, in this very temporal life of ours that we live here on this earth, God wants to be very intimately involved with us. And we all can call out to God to establish the work of our hands, right? But most people, including many professing Christians today, do not rely upon God in this way, in this intimate way, where we say, God, every every aspect of my life, Everything I do, every word I say. In the Psalms, David said, let the meditation of my heart, the words of my mouth, he said, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. That's getting down to the nitty gritty of life, isn't it? The things you think about, the things you speak, the works you do with your hands, every aspect of our lives is to be laid before God, our creator, because he sees all and he knows all anyway. He sees every aspect of it. And he wants to direct our steps. He wants to direct our paths through this life. And when we reverence that fact, the beginning of wisdom starts right there. 
Do you want wisdom in this life? Well, then bow to God, reverence God, serve God with every aspect of your life. And then he has that wisdom for you, right? And many people, though, come to the place of their old age and they have regrets for all the things that they didn't do. And it, and it is said that the, the majority of the time when people are on their deathbeds, they never regret the material things of life that they miss out on. They don't regret all the things they didn't have. But they do regret the non-material things that they missed out on when they're on their deathbed. Things like loving their families more, right? Enjoying their friendships more, their marriage. Those things that really matter, that's what people care about when they're on their deathbed. They don't care about the boats they bought, the cars, or this, that, or the other things, right? Right, spending more quality time with people. That's what they care about. You see, the works that God wants to establish in this life of ours are what kind of works? They're works of love, joy, peace, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and such, right? And we would be oh so wise to seek God as early as we can in this life, to recognize who he is. And as we flip back now to Genesis chapter 27, again, we see that Isaac has grown old. And we don't have all the details of Isaac's life, right? Um, we just have a few. Right? We don't know what happened in his marriage. It seems like we studied more about Abraham than we did about Isaac. It seemed that more was written about Abraham right? We don't know about his marriage, his work, his child rearing and such, but, you know, we do see the story of his birth, um, his youth when his father almost sacrificed him. Uh, his, we did see his marriage to Rebecca, and we saw the birth of his two sons, but now he's an old man. And as we pick it up now in verse 3 of Genesis 27, we're told that Isaac says to his son Esau, now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So this was something that we see here that Isaac in his life enjoyed. It was a physical pleasure of his to enjoy the game that his son Esau hunted and prepared. If I were on my deathbed and I had the strength to eat, I'd tell my son to go get me a New York style pizza, thin crust, extra cheese so I can enjoy it and I'll bless you, son. Right? <laughs> but this is what Isaac enjoyed and this is what he asked for. Right? But you know, this was Isaac's plan here. And this was not God's plan, and we'll see that. To bless Esau is what Isaac wanted, but God who is greater, God who is mightier, God who is all-knowing had something different in mind. And that's what we'll see as we go on will come to pass. This was Isaac's plan, we're seeing. Right? Verse five, now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, 
Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. So again, the old man Isaac has his plan, but there's something else that's going to unfold. And Rebekah is going to be the, the mastermind behind this in a sense, right? And she says to Jacob in, in verse eight, now therefore my son, Obey my voice according to what I command you. So pause right there because here we see or what we're really seeing is a house divided. Dad is old, thinks he's going to die soon, has a plan to bless his son based on the desires of his appetite. Mom says, uh-uh, right? I don't want this child blessed. Jacob is my favorite boy, Okay. So remember, like I've told you a couple times, the Bible doesn't depict to us perfect people. Just a perfect God with a perfect plan. And this perfect God works through imperfect people to accomplish his will here on this earth. So mom, Rebecca, intervenes here and she's now telling Jacob what to do so that he might get the blessing. And in verse nine, she continues and says, Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats and I will make savory food from them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother is a hairy man and I am a smooth skinned man. Perhaps my, my father will feel me and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go and get them for me. Now this whole story reminded me, it just popped into my mind of something that a Scottish poet named Walter Scott said, he said, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive, right? Rebecca could care less about the consequences here. It just seems that she was bound and, to, and determined to get her way. It seems like that, doesn't it? Again, imperfect people, but a perfect God working through the imperfect people to establish his perfect plan. And that's what we're going to see happen as we continue to go through Genesis. But as I say all this, don't make the mistake of thinking that we can go through this life and purposely do imperfect things because quite the opposite is true. These things we are reading about, like I said earlier, they're written for our learning, right? We're New Testament Christianity today and we see in the New Testament that we are called to righteous living. We are called to holiness, right? So don't be fooled into thinking that you can practice deceit today and be in God's will, right? Because that is very far from the truth. We're just going back and learning from what these people did. But you know, in regards to Rebecca, I, I want you to keep this part of the story right here, what Rebecca's doing, I want you to keep it in mind. Because in just a little while here, I'm going to show you something that might change our minds as to whether Rebecca really was doing something wrong here. We got to think about that a little bit more as we go on. Okay. But the story goes on here in verse 14. And speaking of Jacob, it says, 
And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes off her elder son Esau, took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. So um, boy, Rebecca has this thing very well planned out here, right? She's planning for every detail. She realizes that if Isaac, her husband, wants to kiss his son, he may touch his neck, right? So she was doing crafty here, I guess we could say, right? It says in verse 17, then she gave the savory food and the bread which she prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So he went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? So Isaac might be a bit puzzled here because the voice doesn't sound like Esau's voice. We're told this Oh, and remember, we're told in this chapter that his eyes were dimmed. He couldn't see very well anymore. But we're not told that his hearing was bad. So he's hearing this voice and saying, who are you, my son? Then Jacob, verse 19, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. So that's pretty crazy, huh? Jacob brings God into this whole lie, right? Imperfect people. But God is greater and God's plan will unfold. We have to keep that in mind. Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So he's leery here, right? Suspicious. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, hmm, the voice is Jacob's. I added the hmm, sorry. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like Esau's hands, so he blessed him. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, surely, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. So remember, Isaac himself was this outdoors kind of guy, right? He worked in the fields himself. We saw that and he, he loved the smell of that kind of environment and he loved eating the game of the field, right? You know, it's like that dairy farmer that loves the smell of his farm, but when you drive by it, you get sick, right? But he loves it. You know, but Isaac seems to be convinced now that this is his son Esau, and he goes ahead and he pronounces his blessing upon him, though it's not really Esau, but rather Jacob that is receiving this blessing. 
In verse 28, Isaac says to Jacob, therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. So let's talk about this blessing here a little bit. In verse 28, we see that the blessing uh, has to do not with material things made by man, but rather it has to do with the things that God provides, the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, plenty of grain and wine. You see, this is how God has blessed us with the things that the earth produces, things that provide for our daily sustenance, food, clothing, and shelter. We've talked for the past couple of weeks about being content with what God provides, how, how we can live at peace by being content with what God has, has provided, the simplicity of life. We've seen where Jesus tells us, we've studied where Jesus tells us not to worry, but to trust in our God who provides because the abundance of things can steal your peace and rob you of that simplicity that God wants you to be focused on. Isaac speaks this blessing here, and it's focused on the things that God provides. Right? And let's read verse uh, 29 again, because I want to point out something to you here. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curse you and bless be those who bless you. You see, in this part of the blessing, Isaac again thinks he's speaking to Esau, his eldest son, and he's stating to him that his brothers would serve him. So Isaac is clearly wrong in what he is stating here because he thinks that Jacob the younger will serve Esau the elder. He thinks he's speaking to Esau, but he's wrong in this because this is not what God said would be the case. Let me show you why I say this. Turn back a few pages to Genesis chapter 25. And of course, we've studied this in recent weeks. But back in Genesis chapter 25, and I'm pointing out to you that if Isaac thinks he's blessing Esau, then he's wrong right from the start because that's not what's supposed to be. That was not what it was supposed to be. Back in Genesis 25, start down in verse 21. Now, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife, okay? So this was before Rebekah was pregnant, okay? Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord granted his plea and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the, the children struggled together within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And remember how I said, we see a godly woman in Rebecca here because something's going on, something's different in her life. What's the first thing she does? Runs to the Lord, right? A good example for us. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. 
One people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. So there we see it, don't we? The older shall serve the younger. That was God's plan when these children were still in the womb. God didn't make this choice based on the appearance of these kids, the color of their skin or anything like that. They were still in the womb and he made this choice. Okay, And Isaac has pronounced that blessing in chapter 27. He was wrong as he pronounced that blessing. He was wrong in thinking that Jacob would serve Esau. right? Because if you read on here, we'll see that Jacob was the younger one, right? So Isaac had it all wrong anyway, okay? And again, he was given his blessing for the wrong reasons, right? It was based on his appetite, the food that he liked, okay? It was not based upon what God had said. It was based upon his own selfish desires. I love the food that my son gets. I want it right now before I die, and if my son gets it, I will bless him. Right? And what does it say at the beginning of verse 23 there? It says, and the Lord said to her. Do you see that in verse 23? And the Lord said to her. So in other words, God told Rebekah that the older shall serve the younger. So was she, and this is what I said earlier, keep in mind what we're talking about with Rebekah because are we understanding her properly here? Because was Rebekah really being deceptive? Back in chapter 27, or was she being obedient to God, knowing that what Isaac was doing was wrong? As she overheard it, what Isaac was doing was wrong, right? Rebecca knew that the will, of, the, the will of God for her children, and God told her his will. And you know, sometimes husbands do the wrong things, and we need a, a godly wife that knows the will of the Lord to correct the situation. So it's important that both the man and the woman are obedient to the will of the Lord because God will use them both in this life to accomplish his will. So maybe Rebecca was just doing the right thing when she overheard this. And the story continues in verse 30. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished uh, Blessing Jacob, are we back in um, 27? Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, verse 30, right? Everybody there? And Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. So in other words, what's being said there? is that they just missed each other. They almost crossed paths here. Verse 31. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? So he said, I am your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted the game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. Right? But remember here, folks, 
Isaac may be mad and he may be trembling as a result of this, but he was doing what was wrong anyway. God's plan was that the older would serve the younger. That was the will of God. So Isaac can be as upset as he wants to be, but it doesn't change the will of God. And as we apply that to our lives, do you ever get mad at the circumstances that have come about in your life? Circumstances that really are just the result of your own choices? And that's why we need to surrender every aspect of our lives to the Lord and we need to serve Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength because it's His will that matters. And that's why I pointed out to you earlier that He is God, He is above all else. So the wisdom is in understanding how great our God is and that we need to surrender to His will. Because sometimes when circumstances happen and things happen, again, we can get as mad as we want. But if God's word says something opposite, we just have to realize we need to be in God's will and we need to surrender our own. So Isaac's mad. And now we're going to see that Esau is going to be extremely angry as well. Verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me also, my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And now look, he is taking away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved the blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I have made him your master and all his brethren. I have given to him as servants with grain and wine. I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son. And Esau said to his father, have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword, you shall live and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So what a story this is, huh? God's plan has unfolded, but not everybody likes it, right? Do you think today that our infinite, all-powerful God should bow to the will of finite, sinful men or women, again, he should not. And we should remember the greatness of our God because our thoughts are not his thoughts, we're told. Our ways are not his ways. His ways are much higher than ours and we are simply called to submit to his ways and obey his ways. And remember, two nations came out of Rebekah, didn't they? Esau representing the, the Arab type people and Jacob representing the Jewish people, right? Let me tell you something of importance here. Do you see there in verse 40 where it pronounces, uh, where Isaac pronounces to Esau that by your sword you shall live? Well, turning again to Genesis chapter 25, go ahead and turn there.
back again in Genesis chapter 25 and looking down at verse 27. <coughs> it says, speaking of the boys, right? Jacob and Esau. So the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. Remember, we have two nations of people represented here. One, that the Esau was the more aggressive type and Jacob was more the passive type. Esau, as his father Isaac pronounced, was a man of the sword, right? But the fact was, is he was going to serve his younger brother. The people of Esau, even to this very day, are still people of the sword, people that don't hesitate to do violence and to kill others. And we see this, unfortunately, increasing more and more in our world today. And it's even come to our soil now in America, hasn't it? Well, it really came to our soil on September 11th, 2001. Right? We call it terrorism, don't we? But we, clear, but we clearly see the people, if we're honest, that are behind this terrorism. Okay? But this hatred toward the Jewish people started here, as we see it, all the way back here in the time of Isaac and Rebekah. But here's what we must keep in mind today. Right? This is not what God wanted. It's very simple to submit to the will of God, but man in their pride and arrogance wants to be the one on top. God is God and we cannot change God, but we must simply submit to his plan. The plan of God was that the older would serve the younger. No laws will ever change this. No killing will ever change God's will. No government will ever change God's will or God's plan, right? It is the set plan of God. But here is the most important thing that our world must know today. God has given us a remedy to all of this. There is a remedy to all of the sin. There is a remedy to all of the death, okay? Through God's grand plan, he has provided the one and the only way to peace. Not just peace in the Middle East, but peace in the middle of our hearts. Peace in the middle of people's hearts. And who is the remedy? The remedy is Jesus. He is Lord of all. And there's no other name given under heaven whereby men can be saved. People want to fight against that as well today. The Bible says... In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Jesus is the only name given under heaven whereby people can be saved. But people want to create religions and want to say, oh, no, no, you can be saved with this guy. Oh, no, 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 you can be saved in this way. It's this person. It's that person. It's someone else. We want to fight against the will of God because of pride. And then we'll never have peace because of that. Okay? Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. For centuries now, governments have not been able to bring about peace on earth, have they? It's never worked. But Jesus has come to bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And in Jesus, it doesn't matter 
where, what you are. It doesn't matter if you're Arab, if you're Jewish, if you're black, white, brown, red, yellow. It doesn't matter what you are in Christ because the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither male nor female, slave nor free, but we are all one in Christ. And this is where the world needs to come to. This is why the world needs Jesus. So the answer is, is that people need to come to Jesus. And you know, this was the prayer of Jesus anyway, wasn't it? In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed that we would all be one in him and in the Father, right? He prayed that we would be sanctified by the truth. And he said that the word of God is truth, right? But today, in the name of religion, there is murder today. And they've been doing this for centuries, all, all different kinds of religions, have been doing this kind of thing, okay? But the sad fact of the matter is that where there is aggression and this kind of thing, from a natural standpoint, it must be stopped, right? Unfortunately, the world isn't coming to Jesus as a whole. There will be evil on this earth. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. People do have to defend themselves in a physical sense against those that murder. We do have to do something about this, right? And ultimately we know who it is that is behind all of this though, don't we? Because the Bible tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? But against the spiritual host of wickedness, okay? That's who's really behind it. So we can't look at a people based on the color of their skin or their outer appearance and hate them, Right? We, we, we have to tell them about Jesus, but we also got to look at people and say, hey, they're people of the sword. <laughs> they do this kind of thing constantly over and over, and we got to deal with it somehow. Somehow we got to put a stop to it, right? So we know that Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have, abu have it abundantly. But he said that the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's in John chapter 10. So we know where murder comes from. It's, it comes from people that are lost in the darkness and, and led by Satan. But flipping back now to Genesis chapter 27, our story continues here in verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father blessed him and Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran. I just want to pause right here because something's popping into my mind as I read that verse 42 there again where Rebecca says, surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning your intending to kill, intending to kill you. And people today that do murder, that do senseless acts of violence like we've recently seen in San Bernardino, they comfort themselves in this stuff. They think that they're getting gain out of it. They think they're going to get something good out of it. But it's all because they don't want to submit to the will of God. They don't want to submit to who God is, who our creator is. But you know, as I bring that down, back down to our level, 
There are times when, you know, the Bible says in the New Testament that, that we struggle with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And some of us may say, well, I don't have a problem with the lust of the flesh, or I don't have a problem with the lust of the eye, whatever. But I think everybody struggles with the pride of life in a sense, right? In other words, you think, I want my way, and I'm going to get my way, okay? So we do whatever it takes to get our way, right, sometimes. Or sometimes we'll speak poorly of others in order that we might feel better of ourselves. And that's kind of just what we see here. Esau's comforting, comforting himself by intending to kill Jacob. He's saying, I'll get what's mine if I just kill him, right? And I'm kind of, I know that, that that's kind of, we're talking about murder here, but I'm bringing it down onto our level this morning and saying, sometimes to get what we want, we do whatever, or we become selfish ourselves, right? But we're not to live this way because we're to understand that God has a grander plan for our lives and that he is sufficient for us and that he will supply all of our needs by his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, the scripture tells us. So God will take care of us. But anyway, getting back on track here, uh, Rebecca tells him to leave, right? And verse uh, 44 says, and stay with him a few days uh, until your brother's fury turns away until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? Now I'm going to pause there and we'll leave, next, we'll leave verse 46 for next week's study because it kind of goes better in there. But in this chapter, we see the origins of where we are in our world today. God's ultimate plan continues to unfold. The end times still await us here in this world. Jesus is coming again, and Jesus will put all things in order. But right now we live in a time where whosoever will can come to the Lord. We can still come to Jesus. We can still repent of ourselves, repent of our ways, and turn to the Lord, right? Right now, we do live in a world that is a mess, a world that sin destroys, a world that hatred ruins, right? The pride of man is continually tearing up this earth and taking innocent lives because they want to comfort themselves and get their way. Strife continues in this world, but we must continue to be people of peace that seek peace, Right, that internal peace that changed our heart and that will change others' hearts, right? And unfortunately, though, again, we must call evil what it really is. It is evil. There are people still killing today in the name of religion, but we are not a people of religion. We are to be a born-again people, a people with Christ ruling and reigning in our hearts, and we must do all that we can to keep His commands, and to spread the truth of the gospel, to spread his love, to let the world know, right, as much of the world that we can influence, that there is a God who loves them, that has a plan for them. The same God that created all loves them, right? The God of the Bible that we see, right? This God loves all the world so much that he himself became flesh, that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever shall believe on 
him will not perish but have everlasting life. And when Jesus comes into a person's heart, their life is changed forever. Old things pass away. All things become new. It's no longer about what they can get, what they can destroy or steal or kill or whatever. Remember, our God is a perfect God and his plan is a perfect plan. But it all starts for you and me by surrendering our will to his will. It begins there. It begins with us reverencing the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we reverence God. We let God be God. We humble ourselves. And we realize that we're not in control in this life. And we submit all to God. Are we going to see that in our government? Are we going to see that in our world? No. We're not going to see it there. We're only going to see it in the hearts of people people that will submit their lives to Christ and come to Christ, right? And if we don't do this, and if we don't surrender our hearts to him, we'll just continue more and more to make a mess of our lives and to make a mess of this world. So again, we have a a perfect God with a perfect plan. No, we're not perfect. We slip up, we fall, but we must on a daily basis decide to take up the cross and follow after Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, God, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who indwells us. He is the comforter, the counselor. He is the one that teaches us and leads and guides us through this life, Lord. Lord, I pray that we will be a people that your light shines through, that your love shines through. Unfortunately, Lord, we live in a a messy world and, and, and you didn't promise us anything greater. Not yet anyway, Lord. We know that someday it will all change, but for now, we live in a world where we have tribulation. But we also know that as I complete that verse, it says that we can be of good cheer because you have overcome. Lord, so... Apart from you, we can do nothing. Our strength is not in us. Matter of fact, your word says, Lord, that in our weakness, your strength is made perfect. So we should desire to become more and more weak, Lord, surrender internally to you, Lord, with our eyes fixed on you. So I pray again, God, that your Holy Spirit would rule and reign in our hearts and minds. And as we go forward into another week, that your will would be done in our lives. Thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to gather in your name. We just pray that you'd be glorified in all that we say and do. We pray all these things in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.